Good day, Kyle. Hey, Kim, how are you? Wait, twice in one week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a lucky guy, I guess. Yeah, let me find my my uh, video here. There Perfect. we go. Awesome. How's today going? Uh, today's a good day. Today is a uh, starting off with a networking call. Um, do, you, do you remember Ted Creighton from the Oldfield Chamber? Oh, it sounds familiar. What does he do again? Um, actually, the, the best way to describe him is he's more of an operational consultant for companies. Okay. Uh, and that's what he does. But for the Oldfield Chamber, though, he's been a member for several years. So he was always at a lot of the uh, breakfast meetings and things like that. So uh, so anyway, started off with the networking group that he does and another girl, Lisa. And they usually get usually about 30, 35 people on that networking call. Uh, so it's not bad. And then uh, and then today is a, uh, a prospecting day for me. So I just uh, I, I dial, talk to people. <laughs> Lots of calls. I haven't done that many today because of the prospect or because of the networking call, but I've done I've done seven calls today, uh, spoke to one person. Uh, on average, if I do, let's say, 15 to 20 calls, I'll talk to about six people. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're a pretty avid caller. Like that's one of your your go to's. Yeah, yeah. And, and interesting, Kyle, on the uh, prospecting call today, uh, or sorry, on the networking call today, actually, Ted, actually, they, he usually kind of gets uh, uh, the group speaking a little bit. And it was a good conversation because they were trying to get the people on the call to distinguish the difference between what's networking activities look like and what's prospecting activities look like. And what I find is probably 95% of people that I speak to, they don't know what a prospecting activity looks like. Interesting. Well, I guess we can dive into that a little bit today. Well, tell, tell, tell me the, the, uh, the, the process here. What, uh, what does this look like and what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, so essentially, um, we can kind of dive into it now. We'll start with a little bit of an introduction to who you are. And then I have some, some questions for you. Uh, that's part of the reason why I came yesterday was not only to kind of understand a little bit more about you, but also understand what questions might be impactful today. So it actually really helped in that sense. Um, just to kind of start off, why don't you explain to whoever might be listening later on or whatnot, who you are and a little bit about Sandler training. Okay, start off with that. Well, first of all, uh, uh, Kyle, thanks for the opportunity to uh, do this with you. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, but again, my name's uh, Kim Piller. You can see it on the bottom of the screen here, but uh, a, a little bit of background of who I am. I've got um, Kyle 30 plus years of uh, sales experience. Um, my experience in sales started off, though, uh, really just working for my mom and dad in a very, very small company. And uh, interesting at that particular time, uh, I actually didn't want to do anything. I wanted nothing to do with sales. Uh, I got into sales truly for the fact that working with my mom and dad, I wanted to make more money. And the only way to do that is uh, more revenue into the company. So I embarked on uh, learning how to sell and basically taught myself how to do it. And uh, honestly, my first cold call, I, people talk about white knuckles. Uh, I had white knuckles. Uh, I was nervous. I was sweating. Uh, I still do. 
well, after I came out of that call though, Kyle, yeah. I, I stood by the side of the car and I just said, I did it. I did my yeah. first call. And uh, I, was, I was actually doing this out in the uh, Maritimes. In, uh, if anybody's uh, watching this outside of uh, Canada, uh, Maritimes is in the uh, uh, east part of uh, the, the country. And I spent two weeks there just doing cold calling. And I loved it. And I've never looked back since. So, so fast forward, Kyle, our company grew. We sold it to another company. And so I worked for a, uh, a larger company then. That company was sold a couple of times. And uh, at the end of my career at that company, it was owned by a multi, multi-billion dollar company. So, which was nice for me and my experience is to start off working with my mom and dad, learning how to sell, working with larger companies, larger corporations, where I got lots of training myself, but mm-hmm. I also then did a lot of training to our team, experience working with uh, uh, big leadership teams uh, in that area as well. Uh, so I come to then Sandler about four years ago and finding out that Sandler's been around since about 1983, 1984. I'd never heard of them. And I found this exciting because again, I've done 30 years of uh, sales training, taking a lot of different courses, never heard of Sandler. And when I heard of Sandler, honestly, Kyle, I was in my first meeting with them. They're based out of Baltimore and we did a discovery meeting. And I said, my gosh, within the first hour of hearing about Sandler and what they're all about, it's like, this is the missing piece for me. Even though I did well, I always felt that there was something that was missing on certain sales calls and things uh, that I'd come out of the, the, the meeting. I just say, you know, that didn't really go the way I wanted it to, or I missed this. Uh, I, I'm not sure why that failed. Cause I thought for sure I got this client or this order or whatever. Uh, now, for me, for 30 years, I never looked into why I was questioning it. But when I went to this discovery meeting at Sandler, uh, as I said, within the first one to two hours of this meeting, it was like, that's the missing piece. That's what yeah. I was missing all this time here. So again, brought me to Sandler. And uh, I, I, again, I love training. I love uh, training on the Sandler uh, system, the Sandler method. Uh, and I just thoroughly enjoy it. So uh, uh, that's where I am today. And I love it. And correct me if I'm wrong, that mom and pop, uh, I guess, business went from 300K to 15 million kind of under your sales system. Is that correct? Or sales process? Uh, that, that is correct. Yeah, uh, just, just those numbers, $300,000 a year to $15 million. And uh, I'm pretty proud of that. At the same time, while I was doing this in Canada, uh, since we did well in Canada, the U.S. company actually had me work in a lot of areas in the U.S. as well. So if there's a problem area or they're having some issues somewhere in the Northeast, Northwest, Florida, Texas, or whatever, I would just uh, go down there and help out, whether or not it was for a couple of weeks or a few months, I'd be stationed in a certain area there. So uh, so I did well and uh, proud of that. And uh, yeah, I've lear- learned a lot over 30 years. I can't imagine. And just in terms of like when you were starting out with that business, what were some of the obstacles maybe you had up front that you kind of had to work through? You know, uh, for, for me, starting off in the very early years, Kyle, actually it was really, I just had no idea about sales. Uh, right. So I'd, I'd have to say everything was an obstacle. What was interesting, though, is I did learn very early into my sales career is that I needed to prospect. I needed to knock on doors, even more so even back on in that is I needed to identify 
whose doors were I going to knock on in the first place? I could spend a lot of time just spinning my wheels, knocking on the wrong doors. So actually, before I actually did that trip out to the Maritimes, I actually planned that for probably about... uh, two to three weeks ahead of time of who I was going to call on. So I know I knew before I drew, drove up there who I was, whose doors I was going to drive up to and knock on to. I knew who I wanted to speak to. Transfer all the way to today, though, Kyle, when I speak to who would be my prospects here, I actually find that people don't really know what prospecting is today. Uh, people don't have a clear idea of who they need to speak to. They are just kind of blanketing going out there and they tend to do mostly networking and they, they just feel that networking is actually replacing prospecting. So I spent a lot of time working with my, who then become my clients. Very first thing I start off with is let's understand what prospecting looks like and what does it look like to your company and your industry. Fair enough. And I guess I was going to speak about something a little bit before that, but now that we're on the subject of prospecting, I, what are kind of the first steps, I guess, a salesperson should take or, or what, how should they set themselves up before they start prospecting? Where, uh, where I work with everybody, it's at the same spot, Kyle, is first of all, uh, they need to have a really good understanding uh, and which again, some people don't of really what is their service and product? Uh, you know, why do they exist? So let's get a first a good understanding of, of what your product and service might do for somebody. So once we clarify that, then I ask them to go and actually I don't do it for them, but I, they get homework uh, working with uh, actually somebody right now that's just completed this part of the homework we met yesterday uh, and she's done a great job at it. So w- her first part of the homework was what, what's the industry and market that she should go after. So she did that really, really well. The next part of it then is out of the industry and the market then, what are the companies that you need to be speaking with? And what she did is she then took that to a geographical market. So she identified, I forget the exact number, uh, Kyle, but she identified a number of companies, uh, just, uh, you know, just it was probably something like 25 uh, to uh, 30 companies that she identified in a very uh, localized geographical marketplace then. And then what she did is she then drilled down even farther uh, and she used LinkedIn for this is uh, who in the company does she need to speak with and it's different so for me if I'm prospecting uh, I, I, I need to speak with the the owner of the company the, either the president or the CEO or owner depending on the size of the company uh, she did not she needed to speak to somebody very specific in the in the kind of c-suite area but not the owner of the uh, company at this picture point so now she's actually done that she has identified exactly who she's going to speak with at what company in this geographical area in the marketplace in the industry that she needs to speak to. Next thing that we did is we then identified, okay, what is your, in Sandler ease, uh, what's your talk track going to be to this person? And I'm going to kind of leave it on that because you might ask more questions, but this is what. (laughs) Well, it's kind of interesting because I I have my questions and you're just kind of going through the next one. It's it's perfect. Um, That was actually going to be my next question is, so you have your, you've segmented your audience, you, you decided who you want to go after. How do you, let's say, for instance, I I can imagine you go after both a cold audience and a warm audience. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So how do you build that initial relationship? How do you warm them up? Um, 
before I guess you, you start getting into your services, your offerings, stuff like that? Yeah, actually, great question again. It's uh, uh, because she actually created uh, on her list, she found out that uh, part of the, uh, the list that she created is, is going to be totally cold. Uh, she doesn't know them and they don't know her at all. What she did, though, by going through LinkedIn, she actually found out that in some of the people that she wanted to speak to, she had some uh, warm connections to that people through LinkedIn. So again, uh, another valuable way of just that you can use LinkedIn. So what, what we did as we worked together is to create two totally different messages. So one message would be to the cold call person. And uh, I'm recommending, and this is what she is going to do. It is going to be what I do when I prospect. It's actually going to be a, uh, a cold call directly to that person. So what we did is we created a, a script for her to do this cold call. And kind of the pros and cons to cold calling somebody. Again, what a lot of people tend to do is when they cold call something and rightfully so, what, you know, you have a product, you have a service that you want to tell somebody about, uh, about what you do. So you're excited about it. You're pretty sure that you can solve their problem, but you know, you jump out too quickly out of the gate at the, I call it the, the gate at the, the, the horse track is uh, all of a sudden you start to tell them all about your features and your benefits. Uh, what that does, though, is that kind of it pushes somebody away uh, because what you're doing is you're selling them. And that kind of sounds weird, maybe coming from me being the sales guy saying, well, don't sell them. Well, you don't want to sell them. And so um, what she created, though, was a talk track that uh, was very respectful of the person realizing that you're going to get them on a cold call is just say, just let them know that. Just say, hey, you, you know, uh, I'll just say, hey, hey, Kyle, this is Kim. Just to let you know, I'm actually doing some uh, prospecting, some cold calling for my business. Uh, with that being said, can I just get 30 seconds of your time? I'll tell you why I'm calling. And then after 30 seconds, you can tell me whether or not it's worth speaking more or not. When I do my cold calls, Kyle, I've had two people hang up on me in the last, where are we now, April. From January to April, I've had two people hang up to me. Everybody else says, go, Kim, you got your 30 seconds. Hmm. And that's an interesting approach because uh, I often, I know some people ask for time. When I'm doing cold calls, I avoid asking for time. But hmm. it's kind of interesting because I, I also know it's two schools of thought. But I'm really interested in kind of testing that out now, kind of hearing that from you. So you always upfront ask if they have time before you get into anything. I, I have people laugh at me. Uh, they say, you know, they'll, they'll say, okay, Kim, you got 30 seconds, go. Uh, other people say, Kim, you've already wasted 10 seconds. You got 20 seconds, go. So <laughs> they, they actually have fun with it. Uh, yeah. The pers person that I spoke to today, he was just so very calm. He says, oh, yeah, sure, Kim, what do you got? Uh, and and it's also so much about your demeanor, right, on the call, yes. how you approach your tonality and all that, correct? Uh, very, very, very true. And when somebody starts off on this, Kyle, I, I can I can guarantee you're going to be nervous. Uh, that nervousness does set the other person off a little bit. But just realize, you know, you, you do 10, 20, 30, you get into your 50th uh, cold call uh, and, and it just kind of rolls off and you're not nervous anymore. It just becomes second nature. Yeah, and to speak to that, I've always been, I always have anxiety, even if I'm comfortable with something, like even before this call, I get it. It doesn't mean I'm necessarily nervous or anything, it's just kind of a reaction. 
But as you said, after a couple calls, even throughout that, or the first couple calls, you kind of get on a roll, right? And it's a lot easier from there. I, I when I do my first cold call of the day, I get yeah. a bit of anxiety. I'm not, I've, it's been, it's only just been a day, but it's like, okay, I'm doing my first one. And so, yeah. and, and just let you know, sometimes I mess the first one up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely said a couple of weird things on the phone call before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, hang up and go, what the heck was that? Yeah, that's not me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I, I have a question about potentially, I'm not really sure if you do this or if you have a similar process for everyone you reach out to, but a lot of what I do, like I said, is actually creating systems for outreach and whatnot, utilizing different technology and stuff to kind of help people prospect. Do you generally have a certain cadence or a certain approach for different types of people? Like for instance, do you have a different approach for maybe your high value clients than, I don't know, maybe your mid tier or anything like that? I'll kind of answer that in two ways, Kyle. Uh, for something that I do for, for myself for prospecting for possible clients that I might get is uh, what, what I do is uh, cer certainly I do look at a cadence and uh, interesting that's kind of becoming a buzzword right now. But uh, in my life, you know, back as I went then when I started with my mom and dad, I, I created a cadence way back then. So it's just something that I've always done. So my, my cadence now is... Um, I'll, I'll say that I'm going to touch that possible prospect out of my calling list between five and seven times. And the reason why, and I'm sure maybe some people have heard of that number five or seven in the past here, but if you, I kind of go back to my uh, marketing days uh, uh, when I was back in university, it's uh, kind of like a rule of thumb that, let's say if I'm marketing a product on TV for the first time, uh, so the rule of thumb is kind of the first time if you see my advertisement, Kyle, the first time, you see it, but you don't really recognize it. It's not really conscious to you. You see it the second time and you see it, but it's still not really conscious to you. You see it the third time, you see it again, but it's still not really conscious to you. The fourth time, there might be some kind of remembrance there, maybe. But about the fifth time, you see it, and it's like, wow, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of a cool product. But you don't really remember. You saw it four times earlier. Right. So part of that is within my cadence of that five to seven times is that if I just call somebody once and I leave a message or I get one phone call with them, it's one and done, and it's gone out of their brain. So right. I look at it as a waste of time. So if I can do four, let's say five to seven different things to them, it'll kind of lock in. And at the end of the day, we have to be comfortable with this. They still may say no to me. That's okay. Uh, right. but if I just do one thing, it's, it's, it's a waste of activity. And you know, to kind of touch on what you said about your initial, I guess, uh, the initial way you reach out to them. Do you normally start with a call or do you send a message through LinkedIn or, or email or anything, or do you just go right to the call right off the bat? My, my, uh, my process, uh, Kyle, is I do the dial. I do the cold call dial. And it's not to say that one is necessarily better than the other. It's yeah. for anybody, for you or anybody that's listening to this here, find out what that cadence feels good to you about. Just do it. It's more about doing the activity of prospecting, whatever you feel good about, 
if you do no prospecting, you realize you're doing no prospecting. Find out what feels comfortable for you. I just like the cold call dial first. Fair enough. Do you add in emails later on or you you do? Okay. Yeah. So I'm actually on a list right now. I think there's uh, 128 dials on this particular list and I'm probably at 105 of it right now. So once I do this, so I'm doing the cold calls and sometimes I get people, sometimes I don't, but even the people that I don't get, I'll leave a voicemail, uh, but I'm not doing an email to them. So when I start back at the top of the list, I'll see what, so let's say on the first person I left a voice message, uh, this time here, I will leave a, um, uh, an, an email. I'll try to call them again. If I don't get them, then I will leave a, um, uh, an email for this person here. And then, uh, uh, then I may go to LinkedIn. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I might change this cadence up a little bit. But again, that's why I say find out what works for you. Make sure you do the five, if not seven. Just, just do the activity. And do you leave a voicemail after every call, even if you're making five or seven calls? Uh, if I can get their voicemail, I leave a voicemail. Uh, we kind of have a saying in Sandler, I've never got a uh, returned uh, message back from an unleft message. Interesting, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and so when you're talking to these people on the phone or, or sending emails or whatever, do you have anything specific that you use to provide value, upfront value or anything like that? It's actually something that I, uh, um, I'll say indirectly, uh, I, I try to stay away from that. Uh, Interesting. That, that in, the, uh, in all the training that I had in the past before I met Sandler, all of my training was based on selling on features and benefits. Uh, right. so, so again, you've got your features, uh, you've got your benefits, you learn how to overcome objections really good, and then you try to close them. That, that worked well for me, but that's part that I wish that I didn't do all those years because that way there you truly are selling somebody. Mm. You will sell some product that way, and I sold a lot, but you have to realize you're selling somebody. Somebody might say, well, what's bad about that? Well, the only thing that's bad about it is that you may have sold something to somebody that actually really didn't need your product or service. Um, so that's kind of why I tend to stay away from that. So to directly answer your question, Kyle, when I do leave a message, whether or not it's voicemail or, or uh, on an email, I kind of more don't talk about uh, what I can do for them because again, that's selling me how good I am I want to find out for them are they having issues that I might be able to solve but I don't even say that I just want to know are you having these issues so for me being uh selling sales training my my question to them is um I hear today that a lot of companies are having issues with prospecting basically not getting in front of enough new opportunities to bring new revenue into the company you know the other thing that I hear is sales cycles are a little bit longer uh, third thing, challenge that I hear is where companies have products to upsell, they're having a hard time to upsell the products these days. I don't really know why, but do you experience any of these? Right. So strictly not necessarily providing anything free or anything, just speaking on the pain points, what's really their struggles. And, and that's what's important to them. And it would be what engages them into a conversation to me. I can guarantee you, Kyle, if all the cold calls that I've done, and I just pictured January, I don't know why, just kind of thinking of the new year here. But if I think of all the cold calls that I've done uh, from January till now, 
I can guarantee you that if I would have went into them and said, hey, Kyle, can I have 30 seconds? Kyle, this is what I do. I do sales training. I do this. I do this and do this here. They'll hang up the phone. Right. They, they get calls like that every single day. I'm just another one doing the same old, same old of trying to tell people my features and benefits, how good I am. When I reverse that and just say, do you have these issues? Let, let's talk about it. I get into some really deep, I only ask for 30 seconds, but sometimes I get into like conversation. I don't let it go more than five minutes uh, because then what I want to do is I want to book another appointment. Right. So you cut it off at five. Yep. There's, I don't want to do that. I only ask for 30 seconds. I, I know that I interrupted their day. Let's cut it off at, and maybe it might not even go five, but I, I won't let it go past more than five minutes. I'm going to say, hey, look, Kyle, you know, I only asked for 30 seconds of your time. You've been more than gracious uh, with about talking about this here. Um, sounds like we've got more to talk about. Can we get our calendars out? Uh, let's take a look at, uh, you know, let's, let's just plan, you know, whatever it turns out to be. Yeah. It's very interesting kind of hearing, I mean, there's a lot of people who are doing really well on sales and just kind of hearing their different process around it. And uh, a lot of things are similar, but a lot of things are quite different. But kind of what I'm getting is you got to take it all and then make it work for you, right, in terms of how you do things in a certain sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Kyle. Find out what works for you. Uh, but there's certain activities that you need to do. Just do them, whatever they work well for you. Right, right. Fair enough. So I want to talk a little bit about I knew uh, I was actually pretty excited about this conversation. So I have a lot I know I can ask you about and I'm trying to figure out which things to ask. But I just the overall sales process, I want to back up a little bit. What you talked a little bit about the typical buyer seller dance kind of when we maybe you can touch on that and, and describe how it should be set up or the actual correct steps in your opinion. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah thanks for that, Kyle. That's actually what I speak a lot about to uh, anybody new coming into one of my programs because they're probably doing that thing that gets them into that uh, buyer-seller's dance. Um, and what that buyer-seller's dance means is, first of all, I'll ask you a question, Kyle, um, and I did ask this at, uh, during the session yesterday, do you like to be sold? Most right, obviously not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People just don't like to be sold. And we have to realize is that um, when we're, I'll say in the traditional method, and that's what I was trained in traditionally, I call that tradition, maybe that's uh, incorrect to say that, but this is the way that most people were trained is to sell on features and benefits. And mm -hmm. so what you're trying to do then is truly, uh, you've contacted somebody that might be interested in your product or service. And I say that uh, for the salesperson, they, you know, they get that warm person in the seat or they get that warm person across on a Zoom meeting here. And it's like, wow, they're, they're listening to me. I, I, I got a good chance here to get a client and get an order here. So they jump right away into these are my features. These are my benefits. This is how good I am. This is how good I look here. Don't you want to buy me? So then when you get into that buyer-seller's dance, if you do that features and benefits right off the bat, all of a sudden, what the other person does, the buyer, they're like, oh, geez, this guy's trying to sell me. So what they do is they get defensive. So they start to ask a couple of questions, and you start to give them a few answers. They ask a few more questions. You give them a few more answers. The seller 
just feels good about it. This is a good conversation. They're asking me a lot of questions, but truly what you're doing in a lot of cases, you're actually doing free consulting. You're giving them a lot of information about your product and it could be like something mechanical or something like that. Um, and at the end of the day, you just give them a lot of information. And so when you start to close them, they give you objections, but you feel good because you just took a seminar on how to overcome objections. But you go through this, this is what that buyer seller dance is. All of a sudden you go through this dance of they've got an objection, you overcome the objection. They give you an objection, you overcome that objection. And then you start to try to close them and say, well, I'm not really ready right now. I got to think about this and I got to think about that. But you try to close them again. And at the end of it, yeah, if you're really, really good, you might get the order out of it, but realize you sold them. I, I, I don't know. I just don't feel good about that. Um, so if you didn't get the order from them, they go away because they got a lot of information from you. And at the same time, they probably just spoke, spoke to in, in the last week or they're really looking for your product and service. They might've talked to 20 other companies and actually got the same spiel. Right. So do they really need you or not? They talked to 19 other people, so maybe not. Um, so I just don't think that that's the best way to get into that buyer seller's dance. Again, you can do it. You can, you can sell product that way there. I just don't think it's the best because then there's the other thing that can happen. If you sell somebody in that fashion, after you close the sale, there's this thing called buyer's remorse. So you feel good that you sold them the product, but 24 hours, they're at home thinking about it. Geez, I don't really feel good about buying what I just bought. So you have to overcome that as well, because then sometimes people come back and they call you, you know, 24, 72 hours later and say, hey, Kyle, you, you know, I, 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 sorry, but I'm canceling the order. Right. And there also seems to be a little bit that I find when you're doing that, you know, providing all that information, you're almost overloading them. And then even if they want to buy it, they need a day to think about what you just told them in a sense. And you're not really focusing on, like you said, I guess more their needs and if they're the right fit. There's a couple of ways that I've heard that said in, in Sandler ease, we call that sh uh, showing up in the, in the lobby and spilling your candy. Uh, yeah, you just, you, you, you're right. You just overload them. Uh, another thing is, uh, uh, I don't know if they still say it, but I'll just say it today. It's uh, it's called show up and throw up. Interesting. Way too much. It's not needed. So with that said, and I know you've talked about it a little bit, how would you describe then the right dance? How would it look in the correct fashion? Uh, right away, uh, I'll kind of say what not to do again, not in a, in a long story, you know, right off what you don't want to do is you don't want to go up and start talking about all your features and benefits. So, so right. uh, a, a good way to do this and in the sandwich system of what we teach you is we call it bonding and rapport. Um, other, other programs call it bonding and rapport as well, but they're very quick as in bonding and rapport could be that. I've got a warm body in the seat. Okay, now I'm ready to sell them. So that's not in the sand, or that's not what we mean by bonding and rapport. Bonding and rapport could be a very long step. It, it could be, uh, it could be, uh, you know, a meeting that might take 30 minutes. It could be six meetings that are six hours each to kind of build that bonding and rapport. So really, the bonding and rapport in the Sandler system is you're not saying anything about yourself. 
And I, I truly could have three or four meetings with a prospect before I even talk anything about what Sandler training looks like. And interesting, if I'm doing the bonding report correctly, they actually never ask me. They, sorry, they never ask you what? They, they actually never even asked me about what does Sandler training look like because I'm spending so much of my time asking questions about them and about their processes and systems. So for me, I, for a company that I'm working with, you know, I, I want to know, you know, what, what is their uh, strategy looks like? Uh, within their, their uh, sales uh, company? What does their skill sets look like? Um, uh, what was the structure of their sales system look like uh, of the company? So I've got a whole list of actually two pages of, uh, of a survey that I send to them that they fill out and they send that back to me. And we actually use this survey to guide this whole bonding and report part of the conversation. So I said it could be two or three meetings before we even get to what does Sandler training look like? Because if, and yes, true, the odd times they'll ask me, well, what do you think about what training do I need? I'll just say, I have no idea. And at the same time, I have no idea if my training is actually gonna fit your needs. And they all, all sit right. back and say, they say, fine. They just thought they'd ask. And I just say, I don't know until we kind of go through the survey here. We've got a bunch more questions here to go through. And it really does create a nice environment. Uh, I, and, and I also pre-warned the prospect as we go through this here. Uh, I, again, I tell them, I say, I have no idea if my training is going to fit what your needs are. Uh, so I tell them, I say, you know, I, I might get a certain part of our talks through here. And I might throw up my hand and just say, you know what? You're not looking for me at all. And I might give them a, a direction to somebody else that they need. It might be something more in operations that they're looking for. They just thought it was sales. Uh, but I also give them the uh, opportunity to say, put their hand up and say, you know what, Kim, you're not the right person for us. And it could be even just personality. And, and I've joked with people. I say, you might say, you know what, I just don't like you, Kim. That's okay. You can say no to me. So, uh, and I had a prospect uh, last uh, last week. It was very quick. We had uh, two quick meetings. Um, the uh, uh, one meeting was a phone call. Uh, next meeting was we did the four S survey, and that was uh, an hour and a half. The next meeting was I needed to meet with the owner of the company, and we were just having a quick chat about meeting with the owner of the company. But I started off all meetings uh, the same way. I say, hey, you know what? Uh, what this is going to look like today? We're going to discuss this and this. But I also always give them the the, the room out, uh, at, or should say the way out of, of the meeting. And the meeting started off, and he says, Kim, you know, we uh, we had a quick meeting last week, and uh, we decided that uh, we don't have the uh, resources to do this right now, so uh, we're going to have to look at it three months from now. But that was the end of the conversation. Interesting. I I sell very much in the same way as you in, in terms of asking questions and letting them speak more than, you know, talking about features in the sense. I have had a little bit of pushback sometimes, and it might be just because I'm not as good at it, with, okay, why are you asking me these questions? Like, how do you keep people interested while you're asking all these questions and diving in deeper if they don't really know what the end result is? 
I, I'm not sure of the exact situation, Kyle, but but the next step in this in the Sandler process, there's seven steps. So the first one is bond in report. Uh, the the second one is called the upfront contract, and we kind of spoke a little bit about that of again giving them the way out of uh, you know you can say no at any time. But part of the upfront contract is really setting up the meeting so they actually know what's happening in the meeting. So I'm not sure, Kyle, but it could be that they're not fully understanding why you're having this meeting and asking these questions. So it might be just in the setup that they're not understanding why you're asking all these questions. And it could be just that simple. Right, so let's say for instance, you, it's your first cold call with someone and you're trying to speak about their pain points and that initial bit, are you talking at all about, this is what we're gonna do or are you just asking questions and they're somehow finding that intriguing enough to keep going? Yeah, we're not, I'm not talking anything about what we're going to do. My, the, that whole first uh, conversation and then my, my next conversations are all about the pain points, all about them, what they're experiencing, nothing at all about me at all, zero, nada, nothing. And they just find that the fact that you're willing to listen and speak about their actual issues rather than, like you said, vomit is enough to kind of keep them around for the next call. Every single one that I've had, Kyle, the conversations are very engaging. I actually booked them for uh, 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, people right off the bat say 90 minutes. I don't have 90 minutes for this. Uh, my response very quickly back to them is just say, you know, I, I understand that a lot of people say that that's a lot of time to tie up. But, uh, but if I can tell you from my experience, uh, we'll probably need the full 90 minutes. And the reason for that is if we drill down into some really, really key issues that you have, we don't want this conversation to be broken up because we've got another appointment. On the other hand, if we don't need the full 90 minutes, if we, if we completely, completely cover everything in 60 minutes, we give each other some time back in the day. But honestly, let's book the 90 minutes, make sure we got that time. We, good chance we're gonna need the whole 90 minutes. There's the odd time that I get pushback when I do 60 minutes. Uh, I, I did, I'm thinking a couple of weeks ago, I got somebody to push me back to 60 minutes. Uh, it wasn't enough time. Interesting. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're building this, or the, I guess the first step is the, the bond and rapport or, or whatnot, when do you decide, okay, we've done enough of it that you bring it to the next step? Like what's that tipping point? Well, uh, you'll, uh, I know for myself, when I go through my uh, sales survey for the, for the company, I go through each particular of the, the, the key pain points. And, and literally, when I get down to the bottom one, that's when that part of it is, is uh, wrapping up. And, uh, and really, at that particular point of the conversation, I'll, um, uh, I'll just ask the prospect, I'll say, what, what would you like to see as next moves on this thing here? Fair enough. And I, I kind of want to step back a little because I thought this story was was pretty interesting and I, I kind of glazed over it. But in terms of the, the buyer-seller dance, I really enjoyed that Durango story and how that, can you maybe kind of explain that and yeah, just go into a little detail about how people are maybe selling in the wrong way or whatnot? 
Yeah, to me, to me, it's just a good example. And this was that again, that personal example that happened to me of uh, uh, when somebody wants to buy something, and it doesn't matter if it's personal or for work. There, there's an emotional tie to why you actually need to purchase that. And as I say it doesn't matter worker uh, or whatever. And um, uh, so for me, I, I needed a new vehicle and I just happened when this years ago when the, when the Durango came out. And so I went to my local dealership that sold uh, Durangos and this person just goes back to that buyer seller's dance story that you're saying, Kyle, where uh, this person came out and just was telling me all the features and benefits. He's trying to sell me on the car, trying to sell me on the car. What, what this person didn't know because they never even stopped to ask is I already decided I wanted to buy a Durango. I just wanted to go in and buy the Durango. I needed a car, I wanted the Durango. I would have bought the Durango that afternoon. This person would not stop talking about all the features and benefits. So I left the dealership. This was midweek, I think it was a Thursday. I came back on Saturday, different salesperson, same thing happened to me again. I just wanted to buy the Durango, but they just kept talking about the features and benefits. I ended up going to a different uh, dealership this person here actually kind of talked me into buying a car, which I didn't at the time, but I said, you know what, this I need to think about because I really wanted the Durango. But anyways, I, I went home, called this person back a couple of days later and said, okay, you know, I've made up my mind. Uh, can I come in and talk to you? This person then said, well, I'm actually going on vacation for a couple of weeks. Can you come back in two weeks? And I'm like, what the heck? I just want to buy a vehicle. So I never heard back from that person. I certainly didn't call them back. I then had a friend that I had forgotten about that actually had a uh, Toyota dealership, went out to that uh, dealership and uh, it was again the following Saturday, went there and ended up uh, buying a Toyota Highlander and drove home with it. Yeah, I just, I really love that story because more and more what I'm learning, I always thought, you know, your typical salesperson you know, he's super suave, charismatic, talks you and anything, but I, I'm coming to realize that the, the better listener you are, the better you are with prying with questions, the, the better salesperson you are, right? Because if that person would have just asked you probably a few questions and let you tell you what you want, it would have been a quick sale. So I, I really like that story when you brought it up. Well, and then there's another reason why, why I tell that story, Kyle, is because I think everybody has their own Durango story where they've gone in to buy something and they, and they know that they've been sold or, or tried to have been sold. Everybody knows that in the back of their, their mind, their own Durango story. And that's why I caution everybody that when you meet a, a prospect, do not do that, spill your candy on the floor. Don't rush into them and tell them all about your features and benefits because what comes to them, and that's why they get defensive, is because probably their own Durango story pops into their brain. And they say, this guy's selling me, or this girl's selling me, this person's selling me. Right. So, uh, you want to be very careful because, again, we've all had our Durango stories. If you start to sell somebody, they, they will know immediately they're being sold and they will be defensive. And the interaction will be that buyer-seller's dance. And uh, you could go down in flames. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I have a, a question, and I'm jumping around a little bit here. but That's okay. Sometimes when you get on a call, you're obviously trying to listen, but you also want to maintain that control and structure. So it's, you know, going in the right direction. When you find someone's trying to take control or you're just kind of lacking that control, is there a way to maintain that that you use? 
it, it uh, uh, I don't know if you remember on the success triangle for Sandler training, but uh, part, part of that is uh, attitude. And right. uh, one of the attitude that you need to go into when you're prospecting uh, at any level, but I'll say even more so when you're doing cold call dials is you need to come into that as a peer to peer level. If you come into a prospecting call thinking that, oh, you know, this is the owner and I'm just a, a you know, I'm just a sales trainer guy, it's, it's not going to work. And the reason why I say that, if you can come peer to peer and somebody's giving you a little bit of a conflict in, in their response back to you, if you can put your mindset and attitude that I'm a peer to peer, uh, you can keep control of the conversation. Uh, the other thing that we spoke of, Kyle, again, was just looking at the, just by human nature, who we are, we have these four different behavioral states here. So again, if I'm just that who I am, that study relator person talking to a high D or that A type personality, that person might be able to knock me out and, and I just kind of lose all control over things. Uh, I had, uh, actually, I'm just looking at my call sheet. It was uh, two days ago where I, I, I spoke to an individual, I just highlighted this one here, uh, spoke to an individual that I said, hey, can I just have 30 seconds of your time? This person just went off about, what are you calling for? You're taking all my time, you're doing this, you're doing this, and you want 30 seconds of your time. Um, I, I let him go for about 15 seconds, not long. And I just said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I said his name, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he said, what? I said, you just take him 15 minutes or 15 seconds of my 30 seconds. And he said, oh, what do you want? <laughs> So I just interrupted his pattern, but I needed to feel okay to do that. But my right. mindset going on to this is, yeah, he's the owner of a company, but peer to peer. And I was able to do that. Now it ended up that we, you know, we didn't go further past that, but uh, I was able to do my, my pain part of it. He said, you know what, Kim? And it was a nice conversation. Out there. He said, you know what, Kim? We're actually doing really, really good right now. Our prospecting is good. This is good, 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 good. I could have carried on a little bit farther, but I thought, you know, for this call, that was one and done. Next call, new dial, move on. But you need to take control of it. Right. It's almost in a sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, but calling them out in a friendly manner. Like, hey, I, you know, we're, I'm just here. I can pr potentially provide some value. I'm not, you know, I, I find when I call someone out like that in the sense, but obviously not doing it in a negative way, it kind of, you know, restructures the conversation a little. Yeah. As I use the term there, uh, interrupt the pattern. Right. Just, just, and, and do, yeah, do it with all respect, all whatever, just interrupt the pattern. And I honestly, I think again, from January to now, I think I've only had like three, three people like that. And, and when you interrupt it in a very respectful way, they actually do stop. And it's, it's weird. It's like they're, they're head shakes. They go, Oh, what are you calling for a call? Yeah, exactly. And um, so my next questions are a little bit about um, the actual close and, how you transition to the close. Is there anything specifically or any questions you use to get to that point for asking for, yeah, asking for the purchase or close? Yeah, uh, actually there's uh, just that, uh, I won't talk a lot about that. There's a couple of steps in between that in the Sandler system before yep. get to the close. So just quickly, I'll say Go that. Ahead. Is one before I even get to that particular part because if you if you don't do this when you get to the close then you're going to get objections. So before I get to the close, I do ask about budget. Right. 
lot of people are so afraid to talk about money, but that kind of comes back, that can come way back to, you know, uh, just, you know, how you're brought up at home and things like that. I kind of know uh, my mom and dad said, you don't talk to people about money. Uh, so again, if, if I was afraid to do that, but what you need to at a certain part in the conversation and in the Sandler step is you do just, you just ask the question, um, just say, budget do you have budget for this and for me it's very clear it's uh, okay so we're talking about sales training and do you have a sales training budget incidentally most people that i speak to they say no so good for me to know because of my next question for them is just okay we're talking here i don't know if we should talk further is there money in the company somewhere that you're going to get budget to pay for sales training and if they say no probably not i say well you know i where do we go? And then I just have to, where do we go from here? Yeah, uh, I like so, that, how you word that. Yeah. yeah where do we go from here? Um, yeah. So I just put that in because if you don't cover the budget and you go to close, yeah. money will come up. And yeah. probably the biggest thing that'll come up in the, in the closing part, Kyle, is people will say, can I have a discount? Yeah, I was going to ask about that as well. <laughs> so, uh, so, so realize that when people say, can I have a discount? I don't think it's human nature. I think it's just what we've grown up with is 90% of the people you talk to just out of, I'll call it human nature, just say, hey, can I have a discount? They're just yeah. asking. What happens though, is if you're in this buyer seller's dance, you say, oh my God, they're asking for the discount. Yeah, okay, I'll give you 10%. Yeah. Most times you didn't need to give 10%. They just asked. If you said no, they'd move on in the conversation. But do you just say no and leave it at that and then let them and then or do you have a way of saying it specifically? I, I actually my my response if they ask for a discount, Kyla, is uh, my pricing is not negotiable. Fair enough. And is there any other questions other than budget that you like to ask before we start moving into the close? One more. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, and I probably would have uh, maybe said this a little bit earlier, but I, I want to know who's part of the decision-making uh, process in your company. Okay. So, so you need to ask the question about budget, find out if they have money. And then to the other part is uh, who's in charge of the uh, decision-making process. And, and still, even though I, I do this all the time, Kyle, I, I get stung by this sometimes as well. I was speaking with a, uh, uh, for my example, I was speaking with a law firm a couple of weeks ago. And I did ask if this person was the owner. I've learned now uh, lawyers are partners, so they're owners. But the person Interesting. Was, oh, that makes sense. But yeah. the person that I was speaking was not the owner owner. Okay. So we got to a particular part in the conversation where he said something. I thought, oh, I, I thought he was the owner. So I, I clarified right at that point. Uh, we're actually going through the four S's. Uh, and uh, and I, I said, hey, can, can I just stop you this here? I, I, I said, um, I thought you were the owner. Is there somebody else? He said, oh yeah, this person actually owns the firm. I said, oh, so I take it that this person would actually need to be the decision maker if we do this or not. So, oh, absolutely. So I kind of misstepped on that, but I caught it before we got to the very end. So, so it's, it's good to know that. So yeah, so to answer that question, yeah, you want to find out who's the decision makers uh, because you want to have that person part of the, the meeting. The worst thing that you can get into is you, you do all your meetings, Kyle, with this person, but they have to translate. Let's say you had four meetings with them they're gonna take four meetings and then translate it to somebody in 15 minutes that's gonna be the decision maker. 
It's like that doesn't make sense. That so you go ahead, sorry. Well, I was going to say, so that 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 decision maker is going to be the one that actually says yes or no based on a 15 minute conversation with somebody that had uh, six hours of meetings with you. Yeah. And do you, so do you ask that as a pre-qualifying question? Like, where do you before the first call or when do you normally ask that? Well, first of all, when I do cold calls, I'm just calling, I do call right. CEOs and owners. So that's who I'm just calling. This actually example that uh, that I just uh, told you about, they actually called me from my website. Okay. And so what happens, let's say you're in the second or third call and they say, no, there's all these other people. Where do you take it from there? I'm uh, actually doing one of those right now. Uh, I, I, just, uh, um, I, I just said, okay, our next meeting, it's got to be with it. And I asked, who are they? And I said, okay, next meeting, it's got to be with this, this, and that person here. And that's what we're waiting for right now to set up another meeting. And you kind of shut it off from there saying, if we're going to go further, we need to have these people on board. Yeah. Uh, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Okay. So we have, let's say, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so now really to get to the closing part of that. Perfect. So that was really your, your question. We kind of got deviated a little bit there. So so for the closing part of it, when I've done all the Sandler steps and I get to the closing, I've done my four S's. Uh, what I do for the close, it, uh, it's I'll call it like an acronym, uh, CIVIC. It's I, what I want to do is I want to, I want to summarize and validate basically their issues slash pain points. Right. So I, I take take a lot of notes. So I just quickly summarize and validate. Is this correct? Is this this? Yes, yes, yes. So they're clicking up. Yep, that's the issue. That's the issue. That's the issue. And then what I want to find out is, okay, Kyle, again, thanks for, for all this here. Glad we got all this. Did I miss any of the points? And sometimes, yeah, some of it, they say, oh, Kim, you find about this here. It's like, great. Um, so then I'd say, okay, Kyle, how important is this to, to, to you to fix for you and for your company. I just want them to tell me how important this is because I have had some companies actually say, you know, in the last couple of weeks with the meeting here, it's actually, we got some other issues right now. So this has kind of gone down in the scale a little bit. So mm -hmm. I expect you know that. Uh, but on the other hand, I want to hear from them. And it's also important for them to actually think about how important this is. It's, it's a, uh, they're rationalizing it in their brain, but then for them to verbalize it and say, you know, uh, Kim, this is hugely important to our company right now. Uh, you know, if we don't do this, uh, the company may fail in four years. Okay, that's right. pretty important. And then I ask them on a scale of one to 10, what's your commitment to this? To, to the training. Right. I, I wanna make sure that they're a 10. Because uh, I have had some people say, well, we're committed. So it's really important the business might fail in four years. We're committed to this on a, on a level of seven. Mm -hmm. I, I want to, I, I, I have to challenge them on that. I say, you know, I, I, I will tell them if your business is going to fail in four years, but your commitment to the training is only a seven, you got to help me on this here because honestly, I'm going to give you a 10 on all my programs that I talk to you about and coaching, I'm a 10. I'm gonna feel out of sorts if I'm a 10 and you're only giving me a seven. How can I get you from a seven to a 10? Mm. Lots of times people, Kyle, are just worried to say 10. They actually are a 10. Right. They just don't want to say it. So I want to move them from a seven to a 10. And then after I do all of that, uh, Kyle, it's, it's pretty well, it's say, Kyle, 
What's our next move? Interesting. So you never, it's all, and I love the way you frame it. Like you said, you first get them to think about the importance, make sure they're committed, but you never once say, go, let's go ahead. You say, what's their move? So it's kind of like letting them make all the decisions. Yeah, I would have I would have disqualified them myself a long time ago if I felt that I could not help them. And, and I have done that for, um, I'll say not a lot, but a few companies, uh, they are just knocking it out of the park. And, and I've actually disqualified them myself and just said, you know what, I don't know, you know, it's nice meeting you chatting, but I don't know if I can add any more value to your company. You guys are doing great. Now, some have come into the program just so they like constant training. So that's, that's good. I can do that. But uh, if they're wanting me to move the needle more and they're already doing all the right stuff, uh, I disqualify them. And I've done that for a few companies. So I would have done that a long time ago. So now that we're at this closing part, I've already qualified them. Right. They now need to make the final decision. Either they're in or they're out. Interesting. And, and at that final close meeting, Kyle, yeah. there is no more, you know what, Kim, let's think it over. That doesn't happen because I've set up an upfront contract with this last meeting that at the end of this meeting, you are either going to decide you're in or you're out. There's no thinking over. You say that upfront at the start of the call? Yep. Yeah. And so I, I don't know, do you have any more specifics on closing before I talk a little bit about the follow? Or actually, before I go into that, do you have a hard stop at two or what's your... I, I'm, I'm okay for a little bit more, Kyle. Okay, because I did book an extra 15 minutes because I figured we'd actually be talking a little bit more. <laughs> sure. So yeah, um, to speak on the closing or just kind of to, to wrap that up, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of the closing or the process before I start speaking about follow-up? Yeah, and, and I'm not sure if this is what you're thinking for follow-up, but uh, the, the, the kind of the last part of the closing, that, so that's how I would close. And yeah. as I said, it's important that, uh, and, and they're more than free, because I've told them in the upfront contract, they're more to, more than free to back out at this point. Right. Uh, I, I will ask them some questions if they do back out. Uh, you know, in the Sandler process, we have a, a, a lot of questioning techniques and things like that. Uh, so I certainly will want to flesh out of why they want to do that. And some people say they're going to back out, but then through the questioning strategy, it's kind of like, you know what, Kim? No, no, we no, we're moving forward. So they might say no, and then through questioning strategies that they kind of, for whatever reason, they just wanted to say no. I don't know what it was, but uh, uh, but part of that then goes back to the after the actual close, and that's really kind of where um, you uh, uh, you want to make sure. I talked about it at the session. We call it buyer's remorse, mm -hmm. and that is a couple of different things. Is I might be talking to owner, and actually this was an example of a, a client a couple of years, uh, three years ago, where this person, he was the CEO of the company, but he had to report to the board of directors. So he got the okay to do the training, I think, for the board of directors, but once he signed off on it, he still had to go to report to the board of directors. So the buyer's remorse could be that the board, the chair of the board of directors says, Kyle, yeah, I know we spoke about this, but look how much money you're spending on this training. 
I, I, I had no idea it was going to be this much. What were you thinking to do this here? So all of a sudden, Kyle might jump back and just say, oh, my gosh, you know, yeah, what was I thinking? You know, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll call Kim back and say we're not going to do it. So that's kind of one way that buyer's remorse does. So to alleviate that, what I would do is as we close up, Kyle, say, hey, Kyle, I, I know that you got to report to the uh, to the chair uh, probably in the next couple of days to kind of fill them in on, uh, on you know, what you settled on here. Um, Kyle, what are you going to say to the chair of the board if they give you pushback for uh, signing this deal? So what I want, I'll just say you, Kyle. So what I want the now my client, I want the client to verbalize to me what they're going to say to the chair of the board. So that when the chair challenges them, it's not a new conversation to my new client now. So, right. so Kyle, you and I, we can actually role play a little bit about this here. And basically what we'll just kind of role play of what you're going to say to the chair of the board so that when you speak to the chair, you're going to be confident. It's like, you know, Rick, Mary, or whatever the person's name is, uh, this is what we've done. They say, what are you thinking? It's because of this, this, and this, and whatever that conversation looks at. But then Kyle is very firm of talking to the chair of the board while they're doing this here. Then the chair of the board hears that Kyle's very confident. The chair says, oh, oh glad you did this, Kyle. Right, so you've, you've already, they've already had the thought process. It's not gonna throw them off guard. They, you guys maybe have talked about why and whatnot. So it's just kind of a smooth conversation. Yeah. Now it also could be the other way. It could be, you know, Kyle, I'll use it used as an example. It could be Kyle, you're an entrepreneur, you have your own company. You still might be on your own getting buyer's remorse 24 hours, just uh, saying, oh my gosh, you know, I just signed up for a year of training with Kim. I, I probably could have used that money on a new snowmobile uh, uh, and, and literally say, you know, 24 hours, call me back and say, Kim, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So I would still like to do that with you, Kyle, is uh, even though you don't have to report to a board, you have to report to yourself and just say, Kyle, a lot of people, you know, you know, 12 hours, you know, you wake up tomorrow morning, you might think, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Um, what do you, what's your conversation going to be to yourself? What am I going to think to myself? Yeah, so, so I just want to role play with you, uh, not necessarily right now, Kyle, but I, if you were my client, I would yeah. say, Kyle, tell, tell me what you're going to say to yourself when you wake up in the morning saying, did I do the right thing or not? Yeah, I would be definitely wondering if, uh, if I'm going to get the amount of value that you say, or if I'm, I mean, I don't, I'm not really good with specifics, but more so like, could I have used this to maybe hire someone or yep. stuff like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we do that with not everything, but a lot of things that we purchase. Uh, mm. um, I, I know I've had buyer's remorse for certain things, um, but it's just something that people have. And it's just good to have that conversation with somebody. And what is your, your pre-qualifying sentence look like? to like start off maybe before you're on your last call. Cause you said you make sure that you set it up. So they know they, they should make a, or a yes or no decision by the end. I, I think what you're asking there, Kyle, in the Sandler process, we have that uh, what we call a, an upfront contract. Uh, I'm not okay. sure if that's the part that you're asking about. Yeah. So of an upfront contract, we actually use that pretty well with, with any type of conversation that we're gonna have with a, with a prospect. And even that cold call is an upfront contract with them as well. But basically an upfront contract starts off with actually um, 
let's say, for example, our meeting here today, Kyle, let's say I set it up is, uh, actually, I'll, I'll go back to the meeting that you were with me yesterday, is uh, my upfront contract is, I don't know if you realize, but it just within the first couple of slides, I said, hey, you know, thanks for being here today. Uh, we're booked here for 90 minutes. Is everybody okay with that? So of the upfront right. contract, it's establishing the time limit and that we've already booked for 90 minutes. And are you okay for that 90 minutes? The next part of it is if I'm meeting with a prospect, it's going to be, if I've sent them now my four uh, uh, S's sales survey, it would then be that uh, as we go through our 90 minutes for our meeting here, most of my questions are gonna be based off of the survey that you completed and I'll use this to guide our conversation. It'll probably take up about an hour of our conversation. I want to make sure that we leave time for you, Kyle. We'll probably leave about 30 minutes then to you to ask some clarifying questions that you might have for me. Just let you know at the end of the conversation, Kyle, or even anywhere through the conversation, if you feel that I'm actually not the right resource for me, I'm certainly okay if you kind of raise your hand and just say, hey, Kim, you know, we're actually looking for something different. Are you okay with telling me that if you feel that, Kyle? Right. So right. they say yes, and then I just say, okay, good. Uh, and just let you know if I find, Kyle, that I'm not the right person for you if, uh, as we go through this here. If I think that, oh, you're looking for this service, this product, I'll let you know that I'm not your guy as well. So are we okay with that? Right. Okay, just you're getting that, okay, let's get into it. Right, getting that con the commitment, also showing your honesty, whatnot. Yeah, fair enough. So. You've done, let's say, for instance, you must have some times, though, when you, you have a good prospect, you've had a great conversation, and for whatever reason, they, they don't close. Is that, that must happen sometimes, correct? Mm -hmm. So how does your follow-up look like after that? Oh, uh, so, so if I'm with a prospect and I've maybe done my four S's, but they've said no, they're, they're not going through with it, is that it? Or they're not, they're not ready, I guess... I don't know, like, for instance, they need more time to think and they just keep pushing that and they don't want to close that day. Yeah, that that is uh, something where you can't alleviate it, I'll say, a, a hundred percent of the times. But by having that upfront contract, by saying that, again, at the end of the meeting, so if I, if I know and the prospect knows that we're kind of at our last meeting, our last review year, yeah. I, again, I... Again, in the upfront contract, it's like, okay, we're meeting today to cover these points. I've got a couple more questions. I know you've got a couple more for me, but at the end of our meeting here, uh, basically it'll be a decision that we're moving ahead or we're not. Um, and, and they've agreed on that. So if they do come back and just say, you know, this has been great, Kim, you know, we've, uh, yeah, we just need a couple more days to think this over. Uh, I, I will just tell them and say, well, you know, on our, if you remember, our, I might chuckle a little bit, but if you remember an upfront contract, uh, we weren't going to kind of play that, you know, think it over, think it over. Uh, you know, we're here now meeting now. What other questions do you have? Right. So you just push back on what they already agreed to. Yep. yep. Fair enough. Yeah. And then if they, if they do push harder, Kyle, then, then it is part of, then I go back to them and just say, you know, you know, part of the, uh, you know, I remember when you went, we went through the four S's program for you, Kyle. And, you know, one of the things that you actually checked off is your sales team were really tired of the people say, let me think it over. Look where we are right now in this conversation. Right. Using their own words against them. 
Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So I wanted to move here, unless you have more points on that, to a couple of things in terms of closing notes. But before that, is there, um, yeah, actually, before I go into this, is there anything else you want to kind of add to that part or any of the sales steps before I ask maybe about kind of how things have changed in the digital era or stuff like that? Kyle, I have hours and hours and hours of presentations, so I could talk for a lot more. <laughs> let's leave it at that. Okay, perfect. Well, I mean, all the more reason for people to do Sandler training, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so in terms of the, I don't even know if things have changed a lot in terms of how you guys do things, but has sales changed much considering, you know, how things are a lot more online now? Do you guys approach it in any different way or is it pretty much the same thing? Um, to, to, to me, uh, the only thing that's changed is it's on virtual, just like you and I meeting up here on, on Zoom meetings. Now, as I say that, uh, when I started off uh, just, you know, leaving the big, uh, you know, corporate multi-billion dollar company uh, and doing my own business here, uh, again, I just love sales training. When I started off, people said, oh, Kim, are you gonna do virtual uh, training? I said, no, never. Uh, I wanna be in the room, I wanna be with the people. Again, we were talking about the, the other day about just in communication, big part of the communication is just you know body movement uh, and doing that. So I said, I wanna be in a room. So for me, the biggest thing that changed is doing this virtually. I never wanted to do it, but over the last year now, 100% everything that I do is virtually. What I do find though, Kyle, is the virtual part of it has stopped a lot of companies. Uh, they're stagnant, they don't know what to do. Um, so this whole part of moving to virtual, uh, it's, it's scaring them and they haven't even tried to do it. Uh, so uh, I think of one company that I've uh, spoken to and I might not speak to them for another few months, but it's the, the, the owner is just stuck on this part is that his sales team can't prospect unless they can go knock on a door. Mm. It's like, no, you can still prospect. You can do this here. Uh, so for me, the only thing that's changed is just everything is uh, virtual right now. You just have to be used to the new technology, start using it. Yeah, the first time I started using Zoom and stuff like that, it, it was like, wow, this, I'm kind of nervous about this, but uh, been using it for a year now. It might be hard for me to actually go out and now knock on a door. So same process, just just a little bit different in terms of it's virtual. Yeah, just the uh, uh, mediums change. So I have a hard stop at 215, so I just want to let you know that. Sure. But with that said, I, I have just a few closing questions here in terms of um, what makes a good salesperson? I know you've kind of talked about that a little bit. What are some... Um, what are some maybe habits or practices that people can do to make them better? Any advice on that? Geez, what makes a good salesperson? Uh, you know, one, it's a wonderful profession. And uh, one is just having the right attitude about, you know, what, what does it mean to be a sales professional? And, um, and, and unfortunately, I have seen through my career uh, and also through uh, working with companies with Sandler, I have seen people in a sales uh, position that actually didn't have the right attitude. So uh, um, if you go back to Jim Collins' books of uh, in your company, thinking on the bus and having the right people in the right seats on the bus, uh, there are some people in the, in the sales position that's not 
really where they need to be. Maybe it's marketing, maybe it's operation or something. So just make sure they're, they're in the right spot there. But one of the things that I do do for all the companies that I work with is we actually do uh, competency assessments. Uh, so it's really taking a look at what are the specific competencies and depending on you, there's, there's a, a lot of them. And the ones that I use, it ranges between uh, 17 to 25 different competencies that you can take a look at. You can either add more or less, but that's where I help companies a lot to find out if they do have the right people in the right seats on the right bus here. So uh, not to go through all of those competencies, but I, I would recommend that anybody that has a company that is unsure about their sales team, do a competency test, see if they are the right people on the right bus. At the same time, if you're hiring salespeople in, do a competency test for maybe your last five candidates. Make sure that they're the right people. And then the other thing that I also do, uh, Kyle, is if somebody wants me to help them in the hiring process, uh, I can help them to do that because it's very specific things to look in a resume, uh, specific questions to ask them as they as they go through the interview process and things like that. But uh, certainly it's a niche, but for any uh, any profession, any job that you're going to be doing, you fit in a particular niche. So, but uh, yeah, we can find those people. And what are the like? What are the specific competencies that generally work best for sales? Oh boy. Uh, one, one, I'll just say there's, uh, again, there's about 19 that I look at without having them right in front of me, Kyle, but uh, right. and what one would be listening. Um, uh, uh, we talk about uh, bonding and rapport uh, at industries, uh, communication skills of how well do they communicate? Um, are they, uh, if I go back to the listening part, I've done so many interviews, Kyle, where I've, uh, well, I said this yesterday on the seminar and Josh mentioned about is where uh, I ask people, how good are your listening skills? Give me a number between one and 10. And, you know, they'll give me a 10 saying they're great and they'll talk for 15 minutes. And it's like, I just asked you for a number. <laughs> right. Yeah, I actually really liked that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's there's uh, there's about 19 that, that I look at. Kyle, I just don't know them off the, off the top of my head right now. Fair enough. And so just to kind of wrap things up here, um, I know there's obviously a lot of advice. If there is any specific advice you want to leave with or, or closing notes you want to share just as we wrap things up, is there anything you'd like to leave? Oh, uh, you know, just as I said a while ago, you know, if anybody's looking to, uh, either in or looking at being in a uh, sales career, it's a lovely profession to be in, lovely people. Uh, just really take note, though, of uh, what your selling process is like. I speak to a lot of companies, a lot of uh, big companies and small companies, and they say in the selling part of it, they use the words that they wing it. Uh, right. revenue coming into your business is the lifeblood of your company. Nothing happens in your company unless you have a sale. So really take a look at your sales function in the organization on the company and, and make sure you have a true system and that you don't wing it. Uh, it will be the, the, the life or death of your company. So have a great system and uh, it's a great profession. And I thank you so much for your time, Kyle. Appreciate it. Yeah. And just to just for you as well, where can people if they want to either connect with you or join Sandler training, where can they find you? Well, they can find me on my website um, uh, and they can also just the easy part is give me a phone call. It's uh, 416-899-6388 or email me at kim.pillar at sandler.com and pillar is P-I-L-L-E-R. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like I, I mean, I could have went for days with you on this, but lots of lots of great value. So I, I appreciate your time, Kim. 
And um, yeah, otherwise, hopefully we talk soon. Uh, we will, Kyle. Thanks so much. And thanks for attending the uh, intro seminar uh, yesterday. Appreciate it. So have a great day, great weekend. And thank you, everybody. You too. See you.